Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Monster Baby Podcast. This, this is a curious rump. Through the worlds. Of mindfulness and improvisation. Woohoo! I'm Ted Damizone. And I'm Lisa Rowland, and we are your co-hosts of this situation. And today we are... I love uh, it. It's a situation. This is a situation, situation people. But we're going to host you through it. Um, <laughs> today is a super exciting episode. I mean, it's always exciting when we have guests on the show. And today we have... Uh, on the show... What are we, like morning talk show personalities? <laughs> uh, when we have guests on the podcast, and today is one of those days, and our guest is Tiagi. Also known as Siva Asylum Tiagarajan. Tiagi is an awesome, uh, he's a trainer He's a trainer and facilitator. He's been doing this work since the 70s, I want to say. Long time. And he is one of the pioneers of interactive training. So sort of like moving from this moving from this model of like sitting and watching a PowerPoint deck to where people are using one another to learn things. They're really surfacing the information that's already in the room. And uh, he's creating experiences that help give people information or reflection, whatever excuses to do those things. But it's net less about sort of sage on the stage teaching and it's more about facilitating interactive experience. And he was one of the first who was doing that. Yeah, he's he's been doing this a long time and he's considered I, he like might be the most respected figure in the field. He's, I, I'm just looking at his set pager. Twice been elected president for the International Society for Performance Improvement. Twenty-seven years apart. Oh. Like he's been that big for that long, and he's been five-time president of the North American Simulation and Gaming Association. Yeah. So, you know, so people, and, people know him. and the the conversation you're about to hear is just delightful and playful and does not, I think it'll surprise you. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be surprising. We're going to talk about paradox. Uh, we talked about being serious about playfulness and being playful about seriousness. And you might want to have a piece of paper and something to write with, because he leads us through an exercise at one point that you might want to do yourselves pretty fast. Yeah, we, we did it in real time, so you can do it right along with us. And yeah. Yeah, so without further ado, I say let's, we'll let you get on with the listening, see what you think. Right on, and uh, enjoy Tiagi as much as we did, and uh, let us know what you think. At the end, you can write us at info at monsterbabypodcast.com. Yeah, enjoy. Here we go. Hello, good sir. Hello. Hi. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you are here. A present idiot is worse than an absent idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's we lovely were... to see you. <laughs> so nice to see you. How are you? We're doing well. We've been having a nice little chat. Did you record it? We did record it. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> so my session is all done. <laughs> you were brilliant. This has been, been Tiagi. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, I went out with my grandson and my son for a quick trip, but got a little problem with the car and so on. Oh. So I have a legitimate excuse and I have a note from my mother. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check so, the writing on that. <laughs> Actually, I was listening to the previous podcast and I was talking back to both of you and I actually contradicted some of the statements you made. Oh, good. But, and all of the statements Ted made. <laughs> <laughs> Which episode were you listening to? Uh, the latest one I was listening to was the one on joy. Ah, uh, yeah. Great. Great. Mm -hmm. Let me straighten you guys up. Okay, yeah, good. Please <laughs> lay it down. Please. Please. We need no, it. that's okay. <laughs> By the way, there are three kinds of joy you are pondering around trying to define, explain what the joy is. Mm -hmm. Here is the official explanation straight from the Handbook of Positive Psychology. Okay. 
type one is sensory physical kind of a joy. The second type of a joy is knowing what your strengths are and being able to use your strengths in your job or whatever you are doing. So following your passion as it were. Uh, so that is number two. That, that sounds like agency to me. Exactly. Yeah, okay. It sounds funny, Lisa. I don't know <laughs> what you say. Yes, of course it is agency. <laughs> All right, that's so what's, what, what's number that's, three? That's the joy insurance agents have. <laughs> <laughs> Travel uh, agents, real estate agents. Exactly. Yeah, right. Incredibly joyful people. And the third kind of joy is being, a, by the way, you guys obviously have both joy number two and joy number three. The third kind of joy is doing what is your strengths, but doing it for the benefit of people other than you. You get a joy because you make other people happy doing what you specialize in doing. Mm. So this is one wimpy definition of what is happiness, what is joy, and so on and so I love on. it. That's a great taxonomy. Perfect. Yeah. Lovely. So the sort of sensory joy, the joy of doing something well, and then the joy of doing something well that is so well, others. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. And were, uh, this uh, definition is due to Martin Seligman. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, University of Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Excellent. That takes care of my lecture part. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've got all sorts of parts that we the lecture part. <laughs> that, that, yeah. that part exactly. Is done. Well, I want to. I want to say, um, Lisa already said a, a quick welcome, but I want to offer an official welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. You and I just had the pleasure of meeting at the Applied Improvisation Network conference a few weeks ago. Oh, that was you. That was me, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Back at Stony Brook, I was one of the bald guys you met, <laughs> and you had just done the keynote presentation. And then we got the chance to meet and chat over lunch, and and uh, I'm so tickled that you're here with us. But that was um, that was such a funny event because you were a keynote speaker, one of two. And Alan Alda was the other sort of big name <laughs> we had. And Alan who? Alan <laughs> Alan Alda, <laughs> who runs a center there at Stony Brook to teach ah. scientists how to use improv to speak better. Yes. But there were some people, I don't know if you got this word back, there were some people who were, um, what's the word, surprised or like a little upset at your presentation because they're like, he didn't have a point. And in my experience, you had, it was beautiful and, and, and wise and delightful. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. They didn't think you had a point. Well, so let's just fill people in because you told me that that the the keynote was basically showing up and saying, "Here's who I am, and what would you like to talk about?" and sort of fielding the uh, the topic from the audience and not showing up with sort of like a PowerPoint deck and slides and takeaways. It was like a little bit more organically sourced. Uh, I don't know if that is true because I didn't have a point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, great, cool. Not not going in, but we, I left with one. Oh, good, good. Uh, that is called a Rorschach speech. Ah. It's an blot. You find whatever point you want to find. Yeah. So, in retrospect, do you think of yourself as having had a point, or is it more yes. just you, yeah? Yes. Uh, one way. Uh, but by the way, uh, I think somewhere in Alan Alda's brilliant keynote, he said, a lecture is an answer to your question that nobody asked. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I'm aware of that fact. Mm. And I want my keynote to be an answer to questions that nobody asked. Well, I said, how can I stop? Being a clairvoyant, 
being telepathic, I knew Arnaldo was going to say that in his keynote. So I kind of anticipated what he was going to say. Brilliant. I said, to heck with it. You guys ask me questions, I will give you answers. <laughs> it, was, it was really great. Well, what, what came out of that conversation were some really interesting thoughts about paradox. Mm -hmm. And I thought, in terms of inviting you to come on the podcast, I thought, well, that would be interesting to explore because so much of what we talk about ends up being a paradox. And so yes. when I took our episodes and wrote the Playful Mindfulness book from it, every chapter had a central paradox. Like, oh, hmm, this is curious. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I was intrigued with mm -hmm. your thoughts about that. And, you know, maybe that's a starting point for us today. But I, I, I'm guessing we don't even need a starting point, but we could start there. I feel like we've started. It yes, started. I, okay, good, good. <laughs> it already uh, actually, happened. There are many people in the improv business keep telling everybody life is an improv. Mm -hmm. And I keep telling everybody life is a paradox. Mm. And it doesn't matter. You don't solve problems. You keep continuously reconciling paradoxes and dilemmas and things of that nature. That's all you're saying. Whenever, as a consultant, a client says, I got a problem, can you solve it for me? I tell him that I cannot solve your problems, but I can create new problems for you to worry about. <laughs> so to me, my job is there is no this or that, there is no correct answer, there is something which is happening, you replace one paradox with another paradox, mm -hmm. and it sounds stupid, pointless, but to many people it sounds profound. Mm -hmm. and, and they'll give you great accolades and give you lots of money for it. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Can you can you name an example? Like, what's a paradox that a client of yours would want help with? Okay, somebody says I'm having a problem because I want our corporation to be a team-based corporation, and none of my employees like working in teams. They are all full of initiative and their own competence and they want to demonstrate how they can do wonderful things if only I leave them alone. Mm. I don't want to do that because I truly believe in teamwork. That is the way we can do. So that's the type of thing somebody calls me and I immediately recognize this is not a problem. This is a paradox because I know that teamwork has a lot of wonderful positive advantages to go with it. Mm -hmm. and teamwork has a lot of wonderful positive disadvantages to go with it. Mm -hmm. So that is what is happening. And I use a systematic approach just to contradict myself because. I keep telling people systematic approaches or the doom of your ability to live a full life. So I apply a systematic approach and reconcile the paradox. I love that your approach is paradoxical. Yeah, exactly. You're walking the talk. Yep. <laughs> Did you learn that from somebody? in particular, or did you come to no, that on your own? I was sitting down a mango tree and the mango fell on top of my head. <laughs> and I said, why is not the mango going up? Where is it coming <laughs> And down? that's how you discovered gravity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, the mango has a certain mass and the earth has a certain mass. The mango is pulled toward the center of the earth and it is M1 times M2 divided by S squared. It is inversely proportional 
to the square of the distance between the center of the mango and the center of the earth and directly proportional to the product of the two masses. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that's where that came from. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's great. So I, this may be a, a slight switch, switch of gears, but I just mm-hmm. want to mention that when you talked about having a, a, a Rorschach speech, I was like, yeah, I talk and you hear what you hear. Like, I can't mm-hmm. tell you what the point is. You got to tell me what the point is. You got to mm-hmm. tell me what you get from it. Feels very, from, from from what I understand and what I've experienced of what of what and how you facilitate, it, that's very much what it is. It's like, I don't know the answer, but I have ways of creating a container where you all can discover things, like where you can uncover things that are, that are, that are interesting to you, but I can't, I can't, tell you what those things are that is Ted's point that's not the point I was trying to make (laughs) (laughs) but that sounds good that sounds profound yeah it sounds profound When, when you along those lines if somebody comes to hire you Mm -hmm. do you tell them what benefits they're going to get no most people come to hire me Ted already pre-convinced that whatever I prattle, I blabber, is going to be useful for them. Mm. This is is another paradox. Most of people who hire me are pre-conditioned, pre-convinced, and that means much to the irritation of my accountant. I don't attract too many people as my clients, but much to my pleasant surprise, the people who hire me are happy to solve their own problems, reconcile their own paradoxes, and claim I did it to them. That sounds good for you. Yes. This is a this is a interesting question that I a conversation I've had with Patricia Ryan Madsen, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rob Wisdom. I think you know Patricia. Yes. Yes, I know Patricia. I invited her to be the keynote speaker for one of the conferences I was organizing, oh. and she did a great job. Was I, that the Rorschach conference? Uh, no, it was actually the. International Society for Performance Improvement. Lovely, lovely. Well, she she sort of does the same thing where when yeah. she she works with a client, she will not tell them what the benefits are going to be because she's it's sort of like I'm going to lead you to this well that I know is fulfilling or I know is sustaining, but I can't tell you how it's going to sustain you or fulfill you. You're going to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. after yeah. drinking from it. But by the way. Uh, once upon a time, I did memorize her book, and I have always, through all my life, I don't prepare, I just show up. Mm-hmm. And you guys have problems with some aspects of it. That's because you don't really understand what she means when she says, don't prepare, just show up. By the way, do you know how much time I uh, took uh, to prepare for for the keynote speech, Ted? I have a guess. Okay. However number of years you've been alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a problem. I can't pull anything new and brilliant. <laughs> when people ask me, how much time did it take for you to prepare? And they did ask me, a few of the people asked me, mm-hmm. I said, Zero time. I was making it up as I was going along. Is one way of looking at it. Paradoxically, my entire lifetime, yeah. I'm living my life, getting ready to this peak moment. Love it, love it. Yeah, and she actually would say she doesn't like that subtitle. I think she would say, "I know, I know." That she I heard it. I heard you spreading that rumor. In a couple of your podcasts. Right. Yeah, she's like absolutely prepared, but then let it go. That is, that's a paradox. Should many people solve their guilty feelings 
by claiming they absolutely prepared and then let it go. I think that's just a wimpy excuse. Mm. An excuse for what? For feeling guilty about not preparing, or feeling embarrassed uh, to tell people I did not prepare. Right. By the way, here is a paradox. You can never be unprepared. After you are five years old, for every occasion, you are totally prepared. <laughs> you have everything you need after five. You've got yes. what you need. Yes. Yeah. And the, but, the, and the, cri- the, the, the crisis is the crisis of trust. You, you, people just don't right. trust that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, that's an interesting phrase. Yeah. Say more about that, Lisa. Crisis of trust. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, I just feel like one of the things that improvisation has given me is sort of a, a trust that when I get there, I'll have what I need because I have repeated interactions and experiences that show me that in an improv setting. Like when I get there, I'll know what to do. And I, and I can do, <coughs> do the prep that, that feels right for whatever the experience is. And then I've got to let it go because mm. probably when I get there, something will surprise me and I'll know, how, I'll just know what I need to know in order to navigate through that moment. And I think that the, the problems come when we lose that moment of, when we lose that experience of like, I bet when I get there, I'll have what I need. And sort of being willing to let go of the things that I know and be willing to sort of like drift into the, uh, the sea of the moment and see what, and see what, and see what comes. And the, and the thing that not trusting makes us do is like cling on to the things that we know. And when those things don't perfectly fit in the thing, in the demands of the moment, then it, we like freak out. In the famous words of Lisa, whatever you do, don't make a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, famous, famous yeah. words of Lisa. That that's that, thank you for quoting me. That's one of my better known quotes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We've been collecting them for a poster on the wall that we're going <laughs> to put up here. And the list all of our statements, but begin by saying, don't make a list. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the first, first item on the list. Yeah. That's funny. Do you feel, do you feel like playfulness feels like such an important, I know that you, that you work with all sorts of clients on all sorts of paradoxes that they would say are problems and that you would help them redefine. Uh, and you certainly have a playful, vibe approach even like to our conversation right it's like um and i wonder how much of that and how you you manage to bring that to people who maybe are not sort of like wired for play or who are not used to that sort of like is that a big part of the way that you work with clients uh primarily it all happened when i was sitting under a (laughs) A mango mango tree tree. (laughs) These are my gurus. Oh. I'm running from them. Okay. So we are in the middle okay. of a banyan tree. Okay. <laughs> Not a banyan tree, a mango tree. A mango tree. That's where all the good stuff happens. Uh, so in terms of being playful, but by the way, my paradoxical view of life or my goal in life is to take all of the serious things playfully Uh and all of the playful things seriously. Beautiful, yeah. So my doctoral dissertation was on the use of humor in serious uh, training. And one of my favorite uh, games is on death and dying. So uh, I was brought up in a typical Hindu household and I was told to take things seriously. If I am flake, I will end up like a Ted. (laughs) My parents were clairvoyant. Krishna forbid, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And so looking 
at that they said whatever you do never play card games so i decided that's the only thing i'm going to be doing i became an inventor of new card games i started using card games for uh, training people to do serious things so my being playful is a reaction against being always told never ever be flaky or playful uh-huh yeah cool do you think if you had grown up in a family of clowns that you would have been very serious probably are you rebellious <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a control study. Beginning tomorrow, I'm going to move on to your clown family. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check back in and see how it goes. Lisa's <laughs> a trained clown, you know. I wouldn't uh, go that far. Oh, I have done Lisa, some clown training. Lisa has tra- has trained with clowns. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. It's yeah. probably too late, but just to maintain this control study setting in my next life, mm. I will be. Yeah, son of a clown family. That's perfect. Well, and Hinduism sets you up perfectly for that. Exactly. Because other exactly. traditions, you wouldn't have that opportunity. Yep. And uh, talking of next life, I don't believe in reincarnation, but in my previous life, I used to believe in it. <laughs> and in your next life, you might. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's really fascinating. Yeah. I love I love this notion that you that you had this approach or this mindset so early on mm-hmm. that it, that it has stayed with you and sustained you. It seems like it has fulfilled you. You seem a pretty happy person. Either that I can do a wonderful role play of a happy person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, um, but I'm curious about, you said one of your favorite games is on death and dying. Can you describe mm. that exercise? Like a piece of paper? Do I have a piece of paper? Sure. Yes. Okay. You have a piece of paper, Lisa? I don't. Do I have a piece of paper, Ted, in here? Oh, yes, yes. I do. Hold on yes, one second. Do. I got it. Okay. So fold the paper in two, rip them apart. So you got two paper from one paper okay yeah good put one paper on top of the other paper fold them keep ripping it off a half and half until you get eight pieces of paper okay so i've got two now four i'm hoping Maybe people get the auditory time. experience of this <laughs> I got four. Okay, and then we're going for eight. Yeah. Excellent. Name eight Hindu gods and goddesses. Go. (laughs) That have to do with death and dying. Shiva, uh, Kali. Okay. Okay, it's not your game, Ted. Hold hold your horses. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. You have a pen, not a pencil, presumably. Got it. Good. On two of the pieces of paper. One on each piece of paper, write down the names of two of the most important people in your life. Hmm. So two pieces of paper, one on each piece of paper, two significant people in your life. So two two names go on each piece of paper? No, one name goes on each piece of paper. Okay, got it. Good. How many blank pieces of paper do you have? Six. Good. On two other pieces of paper, one on each paper, can you write down one of your strengths, one of the things you do very well, one of the things you're extremely competent? Hmm. For example, punctuality is one of my strengths. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Okay. Right. Got it. By the way, just to give you behind the scenes, I'm making this thing up. Okay, <laughs> write on a piece of paper uh, can change from place to place, from people to people. But the effect is the same. On the two other pieces of paper, 
can you write down two material things, two things you have in your life, two tangible physical objects, like for me, my iPad and MacBook Pro. What are two things mm-hmm. you have in your life which are very useful to you, which if somebody takes it away from you, you'll be unhappy. Great, got it. Mm-hmm. All right, two left. Two other blank pieces of paper <laughs> which have nothing in them. Can you write down on these two pieces of paper two activities you enjoy doing? Ooh. Like hobbies or you enjoy doing sarasasana, understanding upside down, or going for a walk, or reading murder mysteries, whatever you want to do. Got it. You got eight pieces of paper? Yes, sir. Okay, listen carefully. This is your future. I'm going to tell you a story to take you through guided visualization. And... The doctor said, it's just a lamp, most likely it is benign. But just to be safe, I'm going to send it for a biopsy, and I will let you know as soon as possible, but don't worry about anything. Mm. A week later, he said, okay, it turns out to be malignant, but we have caught it very early in this stage. So I will not have you panic. We got wonderful approaches to chemotherapy, wonderful approaches to radiation therapy, and with because we have your genetic makeup, we can even custom tailor a therapy session just for you, and so on and so forth. But Here is something I would like for you to do. You would like to make some lifestyle changes. Good. Can you look at the eight piece of paper and remove any two of these pieces of paper you can afford to be without as you go through this series of therapeutic interventions? Good. Time rolls on. Few more weeks later, doctor says, I'm sorry, you're making some improvement, but it is turning out to be stubborn. Your lymph nodes seem to have been swollen and we'll have to make some more changes to your life. By the way, I'm splitting this thing up. Uh, Can you take any two other piece of paper and throw them out. Mm. And now left with four things which are very precious to you in your life. And things are going down more and more and take two other piece of paper. By the way, I would give you better stories, but since you're born storytellers, you can depress yourself by telling your own story. Mm. Uh, So we have to get rid of two others now. Take two others out. Okay, you're left with two. Can you reach over to the two pieces your neighbor has and randomly, without looking at it, take one of them, crumple it, and throw it on the floor. You pretend you're the Lisa, Lisa. You so, pretend. So, so turn it. We can we can turn them over and put them upside down and spin and them around. Them yeah, around. yeah, great. Yeah, make it easy for Lisa to get it. <laughs> oh okay, boy. Good. Okay. All right. With the last piece of paper. Take a look at it, read it, cherish it, enjoy it, crumple it, 
throw it away, you're dead. Mm. The end. <laughs> now, I spend two days debriefing this activity. Uh -huh. A minimum of two hours, but possibly two days. Wow. You learn from it. What are the most important things in your life? What is the most, most important thing in your life? If you are doing this, 10 years earlier, would it have been different? And mm. the piece of paper you got, many people say, things you don't have, you struggle, strive hard to acquire them. But here is a thought I have. The things you had on the six piece of paper, do you cherish them? Do you struggle hard to maintain them? Mm -hmm. Do you make sure you spend your time saying, okay, this is very important for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make sure I'm not going to step up on my iPad. I'm going to keep it inside my soft bag anytime I go to uh, What are you doing to preserve, to cherish, to enjoy, to maintain yes. the good things in your life? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can keep on talking about that. And so I love it. An example of a happy look at a depressing thing and some people actually get depressed. Uh, and when I do it in a session, there are people who start crying. Sure. And so this is, I keep telling people, you learn when you cry. Right. Mm -hmm. This is my Victor Frank approach. You learn when you laugh, when you're happy. You yeah. learn whatever emotion you have, but you never learn when you're totally apathetic and you're listening to a boring lecture. Mm, mm, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, something in the vulnerability. What I remember, nervous? well, so I took a workshop with you. It was like a two-day workshop in San Francisco in the Presidio. No, you years have a remarkable face. I kept thinking, when did I last see her? She looks very similar. You had the same chain. Please continue. <laughs> it was, and I, the thing that I remember, what, one of the things that I remember so well is you did a dollar auction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you auctioned off a dollar. I Nowadays, think. I do $20. But $20. <laughs> during those days, when you were in high school, I just did the dollar auction. <laughs> yeah. And there was this room full of people. And, and people, I want to say, the, the, ultimately the winning bid, bid was like... $45 or $50. Or, I mean, it was like, she really paid a lot of money for this dollar. That was it, a cheap group. Was it a cheap group? Usually people pay more? <laughs> yes. And there were two things that I remember. Number one, like watching in, in amazement at how, how much people got wrapped up in bidding, bidding money for this dollar and how clearly this is all about the experience of what's happening rather than the value of what you're getting. You're getting a dollar, but, but what is the value of this social experience is clearly much greater if, if people are willing to pay so much money. But then afterwards, you revealed that there were a couple of shills in the audience. There were a couple of people that you had told to bid, it, to bid up the price for to a certain point that you would cover it if that they, if they won right you were like listen bid up to 20 bucks i'll pay if if you end up winning i'll pay i'll pay you i'll pay you the 20 dollars or whatever it was and the woman who won was so upset that it was not that it was not honest bidding like she was really upset that there were shills in the audience and i just and part of me i'm remembering this now because i remember the strength of her reaction and how she felt like oh. I was in get you know uh, just the 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 strength mm -hmm. of the emotions in all parts of this in all parts of this experience of like really going for it for for bidding oh. 50 times the, the the value of the dollar and then also how how uh betrayed she felt that that it wasn't all honest mm -hmm. yeah it's like such an interesting experience by the way very often, there are no shills. 
Oh, really? But I tell people that was a shame. I, I don't remember if in the San Francisco session, whether I had a shill or not. Uh, and the other activity I do is have people do a task. I give them instructions on a sheet of paper and I tell them, one of you has an instruction and it says you are a confederate. Your job is to try to make your team lose the task and do it without being found out because at the end I'm going to ask everybody to point to somebody who is the confederate and there is absolutely no confederate and the fact you think that Lisa has been set up to screw up this podcast makes people behave like right. they would. And by the way, I don't know, Lisa, if you remember the details of the dollar auction, but just in case, Ted, you're worried, I think you should try this. So I hold up nowadays a $20 or 20 renminbi or 20 yen mm -hmm. chunk of money and tell them I'm going to auction. Minimum bid $10, $1 increments, highest bidder wins, and everything you make. I pay the highest bidder after taking the money from him. But I also collect from the second highest bidder. That's right, mm. that's right. Wow. So the, the winner is gonna get paid back, is that what you're saying? But the, the second place winner, the second place person has second to pay place. up. So let us say, Lisa says $2, you trade $3 for a $10, let us say. Right. You say $3. These are now things, if I stop now, I'm going to lose $2. Right. But if I save $4, I'm going to get some of the money back. Not only that, I'm teaching Ted not to mess with me. So this is a simulation of addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. So doing something increases the pain on you, you try to reduce the pain by doing more of the same thing wow. and it keeps on going on and on. So this is another one of my silly jokes. <laughs> A little activity which lasts for less than three minutes and teaches you the meaning of life. They're, they're just all so elegant, you know, these like little exercises that that give you an insight sometimes it's through the content of the game like you were just describing about the connection to addiction <coughs> that one and then it's also sometimes in the reactions that it generates that are then instructive and then the the debrief or the questions afterwards you said doing that the game with the slips of paper that we did that you could talk about it for two days because there's so much that's contained within the simple exercise and reflection from it it's really it's inspiring, you know. Yeah, it sure is. I remember yeah. when I was when I was working on using contemplative practice for my students mm -hmm. as part of my teaching. That that was one of my goals was to say, let's find a great question and just hang out with it. He's you know? a flaky person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like a fine pint. Does not have a pint. <laughs> we had when I taught freshmen, we had four questions that we worked with, it was a religious studies teacher and an English teacher. And the four mm. questions were, who am I? What is my place? What does it mean to be human? And mm. how then shall we live? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those four questions took us through the whole semester. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Excellent, life is a common. You meditate, you keep on thinking about that. Mm -hmm. We've talked about koans on the podcast before. Yes. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are listening and worried about long pieces of silence, that is because from time to time, 
people stop talking and start thinking. Okay, and I'm silent. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably they're thinking as well. <laughs> that is true. Lisa, I'm curious if you're willing to share, what was your last piece of paper? Uh, humor and play. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Mine was honest conversation. Ah. Mm. Ah. That seems about right. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It was between that and singing. Yeah. My last two. My last two were so mom, mom and humor. Oh. Uh, yeah. Mm. I love it. Yeah. Wow. Ponder on the fact humor is more important than your mother. <laughs> 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 Kathy, Luckily, I don't think mom listens to the podcast, so yeah. we're okay. <laughs> I shall send her the link. Yeah, right. Good. Oh, good. <laughs> just thought you'd like to hear this, Kathy, just in case. <laughs> That's funny. I think right. there's something. There's something really. I'm the thing that I'm most inspired by, and actually, the thing that I'm inspired by clowning as well is the. Mm -hmm is the intersection of absurdity and profundity or yeah. playfulness and yeah. depth. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm just, I'm inspired by the way that you're talking about, like, you know, the most serious stuff I play with and the most, the most uh, silly stuff I take very seriously and mm -hmm. playful approach to various serious topics doesn't, doesn't make light of those topics. It just gives us a way, a, a mm -hmm. way to talk about them without getting, without drowning in them in a yeah. way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to call it serious play. No, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it mindful improv. <laughs> I think you got something there. <laughs> I think you you're onto something. something. Yeah. Wow. Playful. I'm going to put a picture of a pig. <laughs> Playing, doing improv games. Yes. Yeah. That'll be brilliant. That'll be brilliant. Everybody loves a pig. Who doesn't love a pig? So good. Very true. <laughs> That's funny. Well, uh, I'm aware of our of our time constraint here. Yeah, I have a time. I have a time constraint. I, I gotta kick it. Is there are there any uh, great words of wisdom that you would like to leave us with, Sir Tiagi? Or silly, um, absurd ones. Yes. Tune in again for my step-by-step -step procedure for reconciling paradoxes and living a full life. Mm. Thank you, Lisa. It was such a pleasure to see you. And thank you, Ted. Is that your name? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see you again. Is it total and I got 17 more. I have a list of 17 more topics I want to do podcast with you guys oh, so anytime ready next time i'll be an hour ahead of time okay just great. to come on i love it minute. great great that sounds perfect tiagi thank, thank you so much thank a total treat and uh thank we'd be you. delighted to have you on again you're 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 a really wonderful person to hang with and so anytime you're welcome back hang with English is a strange language. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> all righty. Have a nice time, folks. Thank you all very much. All right. Take care. Have a Big great love day. Bye-bye. That was uh, that was your experience of Tiagi. How how how'd you find it? What a guy! I so he's such an interesting dude. The, I think the thing that I'm most struck by by Tiagi is how like he's this incredibly accomplished person in his field, doing really high profile work, and he comes off in this sort of I don't. I was gonna, about to say he doesn't seem like he takes anything that seriously, and maybe that's what I mean. Like. Right? Like, nothing is precious. Nothing seems precious to him. Yeah, so cool. And, and there's something so sort of like, oh, yeah, fun and delightful and impish. I love him. that word. I love that word. There were times when, like, he started talking and I was like, I, I don't know where we're going, but it's, like, sort of fun to be along the ride. Yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. I love how he 
is both praising, he'll like offer praise and, you know, like we're the best people in the world. And then he'll give these little playful jabs of like, we're totally nothing. Yeah, when his, when his somebody came into the room and he was like, oh, I'm talking to my gurus, I'm learning. Right. I'm learning from them. And then, uh, you know, and then would pretend he forgot your name. And none of this matters and it's all pointless anyway. And and he I also love that because I feel like, I feel like my philosophy of life shares some of that co combination of like, right. sacred preciousness and, uh, it's all accident. It's and he all does it with himself too. Yeah. You know, so it's like he's giving as well as he's, he's receiving as well as he's giving. Yeah. He seems to have like a healthy perspective on the whole thing. Right. And, you know, I had some ideas about things I wanted to mention, didn't get to all of them, but I did not feel disengaged or flustered or, and, and even the silences are fine. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's just really fun to hang out with him. And I totally hope he'll come back again. He said he would, but. Yeah, that'd be fun. I hope you can come back and join us again because I'm sure we'd have another fun conversation. That'd be fun, totally. So, yeah, it was awesome. Thanks, thank you for listening, everybody. Tiagi is a true—he's just fascinating and wonderful, and he yeah. is so—he has such an amazing gift at what he does and how he sees his work. And so, if you don't know him, check him out. If you are in the applied improv world, you probably do know him. And I uh, hope that you find, I hope that you get inspired. He has a newsletter like a, with a game, like a game blog where you can go get games to play and stuff, which is cool. Yeah, and his website is tiagi.com, T-H-I-A-G-I.com. Yeah. And he says, improving performance playfully is their tagline. So, sounds about right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, do you want to let people know about uh, what's coming up for you in October? Yeah, yes. Uh, I'm, yeah, in October, I'm heading to the ITI conference, the International Theater Sports Institute conference. Sort of a, uh, a, co a collection of an insanely exciting group of improvisers playing and teaching. And I'm teaching the Bechtel test and performing the Bechtel test, directing uh, a, a cast of the assembled players. In one of my favorite cities in the world, Vancouver. British so and I have never spent time there, so I'm really ah. super, super stoked about it. So I'm doing that. I'll keep squawking about it, but if anybody's around, come check yeah, it out. People, if you are available to go do that, please get on a horse and ride on up to British Columbia or get on a boat or something. Because that's probably the most efficient way. That, <laughs> that Bechdel test is going to be some good stuff. Hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, right on. And uh, for those of you who are in the Bay Area, and want to do something local, I've got a, uh, an intro to Playful Mindfulness class that's starting on Tuesday, September 17th in Woodside during the day. Or if you want to do the weekend immersive version, October 4th to 6th, that's going to be happening down there. You can check out playfulmindfulness.info for more of that info. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. An appropriate address. <laughs> there you have it. But uh, I think that's about it. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much and we'll see you we'll see you next time. Adios.